So yes, we are thinking, Father, for this day in the middle of the day, for everything we have into this year. And we still have some hours left in this year. We ask that everybody is safe during these holidays, Father. We ask that you look over our families, you give us new life, new beliefs, new discipline. My word, which I would like to actually extend to the family here for this year is consistency consistency and keeping our word that's going to be my uh commitment for this year is consistency and keeping our word to ourselves and everybody around us but consistency 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 um i believe that will shift Everything in God's favor, we want to give him all the glory. We want to give him all the props. We want to truly praise his name and know that he is the reason why we exist. And that all that we do, that we actually look for our miracles and look for our blessings, but first decide to be a blessing and a miracle for everyone that comes in our space before we ask for anything and receive for ourselves. Again, giving him all the glory and praise and in gratefulness, massive gratitude. We say thank you for this day, this year, and the year to come to have the most amazing year, more than anything else we've had in our life, to truly extend beyond boundaries that we could ever imagine in every area of our life, strengthening us in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's crack this code, family. Let's crack this code. 2020, perfect vision for this year. Let's get it cracking. So... What are we covering here? We are covering, for those that are in a good space, Jeremiah 29 is, uh, is the meal. The meal today is Jeremiah 29. Um, it's a letter to the exiles. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. I'm going to break it down for you. But in looking for the right meat, this seemed like the most perfect uh, chapter and book to tap into to close this year out. I really wanted to be able to give this to you. And it says this, it says this, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to surviving elders among the exiles and to the priest, the prophets and all the other people, uh, people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehovah, I don't even know how to say his name, Jehoiakim, 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 and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem when they were exiled. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hekiah whom Zedekiah, 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 king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said this, as it taps into verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. This is the message I believe screams at me, and I believe pieces of this will scream at you. So when I break it down, this is going to all make sense. But this is so powerful, especially for us going into the new year. And I, you guys know I don't believe in the new year. I believe this is our decade. So, and you know, I, my life right now is being planned in a decade. I don't even see 2020. I see 2020 to 2030 and building 
my legacy, our legacy, and what we're doing for a lifetime, that we want to be, you know, I, I have this picture. I'm sorry, I'm going to add them as I go through this. If you guys actually remember the Godfather at the last scene when he was playing with the grandson and he just passed out and, pa and died in the garden, I want to die with a smile on my face, like in the biggest way with children's children's and legacy. And as we talked about in Ruth and as we talked about in Matthew, what we do right now is going to truly precede us way beyond our life in this body right now. So it's going to actually carry on for things that are going to happen that we don't even understand two and three generations past us. Whether you have children or you don't, it's going to pass on. Your actions today are going to redirect how history is written. Does that make sense? Are y'all following me on that so far? So a lot of people are like, well, I don't have children yet, or you know, I'm not married yet. All that has nothing to do with your actions right now that will determine what will happen 100 years from now will all be predicated on our actions right now, regardless if you're married or have children or not right now. That's God's plan. But your being, your existence, your life, you're just being here means it's, 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 it's beyond adjectives for me to describe how each one of us, let alone collectively, we can change the, traje the trajectory of what other people perceive to be if we allow God to work through us as an instrument in spaces in which we don't even understand right now. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. So in that conversation lives, in that conversation lives, this, this conversation that is what is said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners, those that think they're of divine order among you, deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Stick with me in this conversation. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, there's that, that 70, Francisco, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now you guys know this is a very powerful scripture right here and verse. So that's why I really wanted you guys to understand this. We're going into the first of 2020, the decade that will change all of our lives. For I know the plans I have for you. You don't know the plans. I know the plan. So don't try and figure out or try to think you know or try and figure everyone else out or overthink or underthink. It's not your job. Your job is to show up and pay attention to what God has in purpose for our lives. Now watch this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, 
prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. I will be found. You don't have to worry about me finding you. I already know where you are. I knew where you were a hundred years before you were born. I will be found by you, <laughs> declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So if any of y'all feel captive to the pain y'all talked about yesterday, or the bad relationships you had, or the divorces you've gone through, or the bad relationship you had with your mom, or with your dad, or with your siblings, or with your friends, or with lovers, or with people who you're in relationships with, or all the mistakes that you made financially, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I will bring you back from captivity, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. So all the places you have not been able to penetrate, all the places you want to overcome, all the places in which you want to grow, all the places in which you want to flourish, all the places in which you want to be prosperous, all the places in which you want to bless, all the places in which you want to be loved, all the places in which you want to find joy, all the places in which you want to find happiness, all the places, all the nations and places demographically on this planet and beyond that I have not let you necessarily go into based on your own decisions, just like in Genesis, if we go back to Adam and Eve, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, you may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Meaning you can listen to all the people around you. You can listen to the false prophets or the people who are trying to put it together, even the people that have good intentions. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne. If we go back into the lineage from Boaz all the way to David, all the way to when Jesus was born, this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne, King David's throne, and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens, all the people that surround you who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Let's listen. Listen, Linda, I will send you the sword, famine and plague against all of your enemies, against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, a scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them, for they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again. Remember, we said, hey, how many chances do you need? Again and again, I sent by my servants, the prophets, the three wise men, if you will, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles from whom I've sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab and of Koliah and Zedekiah, son of Messiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. Meaning, don't listen to every pastor, every minister, and every person that holds a Bible in their hand. Because if the word did not come from God, 
it doesn't matter where they're prophesying from and what they're changing around or creating for you to hear based on a delivery that they want you to interpret the way they want you to interpret it. He says, I will deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire, for they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. And in my name, they have uttered lies, which I did not or I didn't authorize this. I know it and I am a witness to it, declares the Lord. Oh, Jesus, that was the letter to the exiles. I'm just glad I'm not one of the exiles. But let's be very clear. The message to Shemaiah. Tell Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, the Nehelamite. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. You've sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to the priest Zephaniah, son of Messiah. And to all the other priests, you said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehodiah. Jehoda, Jehoda. I can't get that. That's an actual Hebrew name. Jehoda, Jehoida. I'm going to have to look at the enunciation of that. To be in charge of the house of the Lord, you should put any maniac who acts like a prophet into the stocks and neck irons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anatha, who poses as a prophet amongst you? He has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Zephaniah, the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah, the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send this message to all exiles. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah. The Nehelamite, 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 forgive me. I'm very anal about trying to figure out how to say certain words, but that is Nehelamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has persuaded you to trust in lies. This is what the Lord says. I will surely punish Shemaiah and then the Helamite and his descendants. He will not, he will, he will have no one left amongst his people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. Now, oh, Jesus, hold on one second. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So I got coffee and water. <laughs> now, let's get into this, right? We go into this and we understand the letter of the captives, a future and a hope. One through four is a letter. It, what it is, one through four is a letter from, Jer uh, from Jerusalem to the captives in, ba in Babylon. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, the letter Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29 contains, listen to me, it contains a letter from Jeremiah writing as the Lord's prophet to the exiles of Babylon. It was especially directed to the leaders, the remainder of the elders of the Jewish community that was there, that coexisted in that space. This happened after Jeconia. See, Jeconia was taken to Babylon in 598. I love this because it actually allowed me to go and do research combined with what I did in the Roman Byzantineo. If you go into Byzantine, if you understand history of Roman times and what happened as it merged to Greek times, this was taken in 598 BC before Christ was born. By this time, Babylon had already invaded Judah and Jerusalem twice. 605 BC and 598 BC. These are the two times that they actually attacked and taken captive every time. There still remained a sizable population in Jerusalem and Judah, but they would also soon be conquered and carried away in forced exile. See, the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, Elasa, E-L-A-S-A-H, Elasa. Diplomatic correspondence between overlords and vassals was common in the second millennial BC as the Amarna letters, that's what they're called as the Amarna letters written from the Palestine to the Pharaoh indicate. Thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. This letter was a valid and true expression of Jeremiah's prophetic office, even though it was written and not spoken. Listen, listen, Linda, listen. See, five through nine, that is actually breaking down. Make yourself at home and be a good citizen in Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. See, the Jewish people then, and at that time, the promised people, the Jewish people at that point in time were in Babylon by the will of God in his bringing judgment on Judah for their generations of rebellion against him. In God's plan, they would be in Babylon a long time, for a very long time. So it was best for them to settle in and make the best of their lives and create their families there. Most likely in the expectation of a brief sojourn in captivity, they were weary, I mean, very tired of acquiring houses and land and even children, since these would be encumbrances in the event of a return journey of Jerusalem. Listen to what I'm saying here. Are you guys with me on that so far? So the freedom allowed them, implies they were neither slaves nor prisoners in their new land. As you move forward, it says that you may increase there and not diminish. See, God wanted the Jewish people to multiply in Babylon, even as they multiplied in Egypt. Exile didn't mean that God forgot about them or wanted to destroy them. The next line, seek the peace of the city. God wanted them to do good in their communities and be a blessing to the Babylonians and their neighbors. Ultimately, God caused them to be in Babylon, and they should be a blessing wherever they set foot. Pray to the Lord for it. It's a unique way of being able to say in ancient literature where it was Jeremiah's command for them to pray for their pagan captors. You know, the Lord is very forgiving. So he's like, pray for your captors, the ones who, who actually live in a pagan way, in an idolatry way. Prayer and good works of all sorts are ways to seek the peace of the city. Shalom, as you guys know from the Jewish word, shalom, peace. 
Yet proclaiming the good news of God's rescue in Jesus the Messiah is also part of seeking the peace of the city. By themselves, random acts of kindness cannot bring enduring peace. The only basis for real and lasting shalom or peace is the word, is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where it's all going to come from. Alpha and the Omega. Watch this. Jeremiah have foretold the ultimate overthrow of Babylon with no uncertain sound. Of that issue, there could be no doubt. But so long as it remained, and they were held there as captives by the will of God, let them secure peace for themselves by seeking the peace of the city, and that by prayer. Whatever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, seek the peace and comfort of those around you. Do not let your prophets and diviners who are in your midst deceive you. There were false prophets, and they are false prophets that exist today, by the way. False prophets among the Jews in Jerusalem and in Babylon. These false prophets and diviners likely told the Jews in Babylon that they would soon be allowed back to Judah, and they should plan according, God said. They prophesize falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. Now. 10 through 14 gets into the promise to bring them back into the land. After 70 years of completed, I mean, after, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. Listen to this. As previously promised by Jeremiah, the captivity in Babylon would not go beyond 70 years. God had appointed an end to it, but it would be a long season in exile before God would cause you to return to this place. See, the false prophets promised a quick return from exile. That was not going to happen. Through Jeremiah, the Lord told them it would not be a quick return, but there would be a return. In time, God would visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. God had a word for exiles. It just wasn't the word the false prophets brought. See, the prophet had the double duty of putting down their false hopes and sustaining their right expectations. He therefore plainly warned them against expecting more than God had promised. And he arose, he got them aroused to look for the fulfillment of what he had promised. See, the exile did last, it did last 70 years. Count it out, Babylonian victory. I mean, if you look at it, if you count it out, there was a Babylonian victory at Carchemish in 605 BC. I get high off of this kind of information. To the return for the first exiles in 536 BC. You can count out exactly 70 years. 605 BC to 536 BC, there was a major war going on. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. God knew his own thoughts toward these exiled Jews in Babylon. They, they did not know or did not remember his thoughts towards them. So God wanted to state them in writing through Jeremiah's letter. It's funny how, as I'm speaking clearly and, and plainly, how God always wants to make sure that we don't screw up. You guys remember when we had the conversation in the scripture about how we had to come back and clarify the Ten Commandments on Moses' part? And now he's coming back and he's clarifying and making sure that you don't mess up 
anybody else's false prophets or any other man or woman's conversation that he's given to Jeremiah. He's like, look, you heard this by other prophets. Let me put it in writing for you and let me inspire this through Jeremiah so you get it. See, I want you guys to get this and see, listen to this. Listen, listen, Linda. They did not know or did not remember his thoughts towards them. So check this out. God thinks about us. This is spoken clearly in Psalm 40. David pondered the thoughts of God upon his people. Do you remember this? If not, please. I know we didn't go deep into Proverbs and get to 40, but it is right behind Proverbs, my, my second favorite book, my mother's favorite book. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Psalms 40. God's thought run upon his children, the children of affliction, especially as a father does upon his dear children. Yet what God told the exiles through Jeremiah was even better. God does not only think about his people, his thoughts are toward them. The Lord not only thinks of you, but towards you. His thoughts are all drifting your way. They are all focused on each one of us individually. Furthermore, we may not know God's thoughts, but he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Brethren, when we cannot know the thoughts of the Lord because they are too high for our conception or too deep for our understanding, know that the Lord knows that he knows that he knows. <laughs> thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The exiled Jews lived in an experience of God's judgment upon their nation. It was easy for them to think that God was against them, that he intended evil for them. Through Jeremiah's God assured them, this is what we understand. He assured them that his thoughts towards them were of peace and that in his heart, and mine, he had a future and a hope for them. For each one of us, we have a future and we have a hope if we can get out of the rearview mirror. If we can stop living in the past and stop blaming others and stop holding our pain hostage as a memory for what? The future and the hope was not only expressed in a return from exile. God has a special purpose in allowing the captivity of his people in Babylon. It was to scatter synagogues and the Old Testament in preparation for the gospel. Jeremiah's words, hope and a future, are literally an end and an hope, which is a, listen to this, listen to this. It means a hopeful end meaning you will, end on the, you will end up in nothing but joy if we follow his word. You will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. What does that get? If that's a promise and that's God's word, how many times have we talked about us having our own personal relationship with God so that we can actually talk to him and at the same time, listen to him? Too many times we're just talking at him. A lot of people are like, he's not hearing me. No, he hears you when you decide to have an authentic conversation and be a transparent person that he has created for his goodwill, not for your own, and not ask for forgiveness or help only when you're in hard times. This helped define the future and the hope that God had for his exiled people. Though they were not in Jerusalem and could not perform the appointed temple rituals, God would still listen when they prayed. Their prayer and God answers were part of the future and hope. See, you will seek me and find me. 
God would not hide from his people. They won't hide from us. If we seek him, they would not suffer under the dark sense that God could not be found. Their seeking and God's revealing were part of the future and the hope. I will bring you back from captivity. This was a further aspect of the future and hope that God would not only bless and be with them in Babylon, but allow all his people to eventually come back to his and their promised land. 15 through 20, God displeasures with those who remained in Jerusalem and Judah. Broken down concerning your brethren who have not gone with you into captivity. Many among the exiles in Babylon believed, in fact, I'd say most, that those who had not even yet been carried into captivity were somehow better than those who had been taken away. Perhaps there were prophets who encouraged this thinking. God told the exiles that those who remained would face severe judgment. Like, and this is crazy, like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. <laughs> That's just nasty. Jeremiah 24 told the parable of the basket of figs. So if you guys ever want, if you, if you have some extra time and you want to really go into this book of Jeremiah, uh, past 19, in Jeremiah 24, the, the whole parable of the baskets of figs is huge. And here the picture is repealed and repeated and reviewed. Those who remained in Jerusalem and Judah were like the rotten figs, not the good ones. Their fate was so bad that it was cursed an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among the nations. Do not envy the state of Zedekiah, who sits on the throne of David, nor that of the people who are now in the land which ye have been carried captive, because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, neither would you heed. It wasn't as if those already taken into captivity were righteous and those who remained were far more wicked. That wasn't the case. It seems what God most objected to was the sense of superiority and favor that those who remained in Jerusalem and Judah held on to in their elitist mindset. The message to certain individuals in Babylon in 21 through 23, the message to the false prophets, Ahab and Zedekiah, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, in God's letter to the exiles through Jeremiah, he addressed some specific individuals. Here, God spoke to Ahab and Zedekiah, two men considered prophets and named after a wicked king of Israel and a wicked king of Judah. I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them. Apparently, Ahab and Zedekiah were among the prophets who lied to the people of God, telling them of Nebuchadnezzar's weaknesses and the soon restoration of the Jewish to the Judah, to the land of Judah. Not only were they wrong generally, they were wrong regarding themselves personally and would soon be executed by the king they said was fading in power and influence. The Lord make you, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. This would become a proverb among the Jews in Babylon, in the Babylonian exile. These men died such terrible deaths, roasted in the fire, that one could curse others by wishing their fate upon them. Literally, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar roasted them. That just sounds so painful. Which was the proper punishment for treason in the Hammurabi's code. 
They have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. These men were unfaithful with their lives and with their words. Though their unfaithfulness was perhaps not public knowledge, God was a witness to it all, would hold them to an account. 24 through 28, the, the message to the Shemaiah. The Lord has made you priests. The second message was to the Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, who sent letters to the high priest of Zephaniah, telling him to stop and punish every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, meaning Jeremiah and perhaps others. Demented, D-E-M-E-N-T-E-T. -E -E and forgive my nasal sound because between cold and the sun, I'm a little nasal and I'm, I'm gonna have to take a whole lot of vitamin C, but I'm gonna need y'all to help me here. Hopefully you can understand me clear, clearly. Demented here, in an ecstatic, ecstatic rapture is what it meant to mean, such as an appeared in, it appeared in the prophets, whether true or false, when under the influence, the one of God, the other of a demon. And, and this is a reference of 2 Kings 9-11. Zephaniah was a priest after the good and godly Jehodia. Jehodia, I keep messing that one up. Jehoiada, Jehoiada. He should have known, too, that the stocks had not silenced Jeremiah before, nor with the addition of the iron collar. Why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth? Jeremiah wanted Zephaniah to do everything he could to oppose and discredit Jeremiah. Jeremiah wanted Zephaniah to do everything he could to oppose and discredit Jeremiah, denying his message that they would be in exile for a long time and should make the best of it. 29 through 32, the judgment to come upon Shehemiah. Zephaniah, the priest, read this letter to the hearing of Jeremiah. When the letter from Shehemiah came to Jerusalem and Zephaniah, Jeremiah heard the letter exalting himself and criticizing Jeremiah. Behold, I will punish Shehemiah. God directed Jeremiah to respond with a prophetic declaration against Shemaiah. God would punish his false prophet and his family. They would die out with no descendants and never see the good that I will do for my people. One reason to keep faithful to God. One reason, one amazing reason to stay faithful to God through the difficulties of life is simply so we can be around when God does remarkable good things for his people. Jesus, okay. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So if you look at this, stick with me. If you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, listen to this right here. Listen to this. It contains a precious promise held dear by Christians all over the world. It is also like one of the most misapplied verses in all the scripture. In this verse, 2911 is what I'm talking about if you want to actually take note of it. In this verse, Jeremiah affirms that God is in control and moreover, he has good things in store. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil 
to give you a future and a hope. See, comforting words to be sure. But what does Jeremiah mean by this? Some have taken this verse and applied it to themselves and others in an unqualified way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, they say. He has mapped out the course of your life and you only have to be obedient to him to step into his blessing. Some go further and say this verse promises earthly prosperity, health, and wealth are what a lot of Christians will actually tell you. We are not to settle for second best. We are children of the king. In this view, suffering and deprivation signal a lack of faith. The context of Jeremiah 29, 11 indicates that it is not meant as a blanket promise of worldly blessings. Okay. They say that three of the most important factors when it comes to truly buying real estate are location, location, location. If anybody understands real estate, it's always location. Similarly, the three most important factors when it comes to understanding a given passage in the Bible are context, context, context. When texts are isolated, they can be made to mean almost anything, but when they are read in context, they are intended meanings to become clear. In the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, it indicates that it is not meant as a blanket promise of worldly blessings. Jeremiah the prophet ministered before and during the, the Babylonian exile. When the southern kingdom of Judah suffered the covenant curse of expulsion from the promised land for its continued unfaithfulness to the Lord, this is also spoken about in Deuteronomy and Chronicles, Jeremiah had warned the, Judah, the, the Judahites that punishment was coming. And he pleaded with them to repent of their what? Idolatry and evil doing. Those two things went hand in hand. When they did not, he prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would conquer Judah and Jerusalem and carry off the people into exile. Even in the midst of this prophecy of punishment, there was a silver lining of hope. The exile would be long, but it would not be permanent. See, God purposed to chasten his people, but he would not destroy them utterly. He would, in fact, bring them back to their land after 70 years. Moreover, the Lord promised to bless the people during the exile. This promised blessing is the subject matter of chapter 29, which conveys the contents of a letter that the prophet sent to the people in exile. In 29.1, he says it stated plainly in the first verse. God encourages the people to build houses, to marry, and give their children in marriage to plant vineyards, and to seek the welfare of the city. These blessings are a reversal or suspension of the covenant curses in Deuteronomy 28.30-34, so you guys are clear. I love this as far as where we're going with this so you understand exactly how this actually plays because it's a very deep statement when we truly understand the meaning. See, these words of the letter of Jeremiah are what I really want you to have. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Whew. Yeah, I can keep going. I'm going to complete there because I'll get to the dessert in a minute because we'll be here until the new year. People are like, damn, I missed the new year. I was one with Mr. Nelson. So I love your guys' takeaway. I will complete this. I approve this message. That is the meal for today.
In this verse, Jeremiah affirms that God is in control. And moreover, he has good things in store. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope is our 2020.